You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Well, hello, and thanks for coming back to join me and David for the final five. This is a bonus episode to the conversation we had previously covering topics and five specific questions we didn't address in the last episode. Today, David talks about politics and his admiration for his old high school drama teacher. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and this is The Final Five. All right, here we are. So number one, if you could have any other job outside of the arts, what would it be? I, you know, I'm, I'm a politics junkie. And so I think that I would want to work either for like a congressman or a senator, be like an advisor or, or be one myself, like a senator. I don't know. Um, but, I, you know, I think, I think it's a lot of people, too. But like I love law and I, you know, like there was, a, you know, whenever I was, especially when I was younger, whenever I was unemployed, I was like, I'm taking the LSAT and going to law school, um, which thankfully I don't know that I'd be a good lawyer. But but like I do love politics. And, and, and so I think somewhere in that arena, I mean, politics is theater. So like it doesn't not make sense. Um, but I think somewhere in that arena would probably be where I'd end up, which is, you know, also a very safe and, you know, easy job. Now, would you want to be part of the, the campaign, like getting the votes or would you want to be them once they're in office and taking part in that? I, I think both. I do think that I do think that the 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 theater of campaigning would obviously be very exciting to me and, and sort of creating a campaign and um, and also like setting up, you know, the 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 places that they they campaign and like figuring out like well what's the best way to get this message across and figuring out all of that I think would be exciting to me but I also love messaging and you know and, and I mean politics is storytelling too and and I think that in office I think obviously that's where the work is done um, and in theory the good work but. Um, as, as we know that that's not always the case, but I think I think creating that like the messaging of of ideas and and that which I think politics can sometimes be really bad at is something that I would be really interested in. Yeah, when it comes to uh, I, I, I guess like the theatricality, the optics, you know, how things are coming across that that yeah. PR part of politics, some are just completely clueless of it, and so totally they, clueless. you know, w- when there are those that you know, whether it's Obama or Clinton or people that can kind of resonate and have that charm that people yeah. can feel like, oh, you get me. I think right. those those kind of politicians are are very few and far between you know, with those that just have no clue about totally across. Yeah. And now they all have, now they're totally, I'm not, I'm specifically not talking about our president when I say this, but like Twitter has made them completely unencumbered from their advisors reigns. And so like I'll often watch, yeah, yeah, it's not just him. And like, I'll often like people will pop up in my Twitter feed about, and you'll be like, wait, you're running for office and you're saying that like in a public forum, like, what are you thinking? Mm-hmm. But they're completely untethered now. Um, and in a way that, you know, but I think we want our politicians tethered. Like, like I want them to be thoughtful and I want them to show empathy. And, and, and that, that takes thought and, and preparation. And, you know, and I think that some, that's something that we're losing. Like authenticity does not mean lack of preparation. Mm-hmm. And I think our politics is sort of, I think Trump in particular has sort of made that seem like, you know, if you're, if, if you, if you've actually thought about something, 
longer than it takes to write 144 words, you're you're inauthentic, and 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 that's you know, and therefore you're lying to me. I think that that's completely bogus. But I do think that you know, you know, I also want to make a difference, and you know, I think theater makes a difference, and I think you know, but but in a, in, a, in a more tangible way, sometimes I think, yeah, yeah. All right, number two, what is a a bucket list uh, show that you hope to work on one day? I, you know, it, it, I get that question a lot. And it's funny because my, I, I'm so much more interested in new work than old stuff. I mean, I love, you know, like, I mean, of course, like I'd love to direct Ragtime and I'd love to direct the Spider Woman or Sweeney Todd or company, but like for the most part, like my bucket list are shows that don't exist. And, and, um, you know, and I, and I, so, so yeah, it's hard for me to say like, this is the one show, you know, and especially because I'm working regionally now, it's a lot of like, I have a list of shows that like you, you want to pitch to them, but like, they're not my bucket list shows. They're shows that I'd love to direct, but it's not like the one. So with these new works, is there an ingredient or something that makes it, this is the kind of show I want to do? Uh, generally they have a, they, they have a, there's like a, a political angle or something that, you know, that, that shows the writer's trying to explore something that's current that that needs to be exposed in a in a, in a unique way. Um, that doesn't mean like you know because I'm a Democrat and a liberal like that they all have to be liberal stories. I actually think it would be really fun to tell like the story of somebody that completely is outside of my viewpoint. Um, so you can get into the psychology of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, generally they had. I I I sort of like shows that say something about something important. Yeah. Um, and so you gave a few examples in our previous conversation, but number three, who is it that you look up to as a mentor or someone that inspires you today? I mean, all of those people that I've worked for do. I get. I mean, that's sort of the the easy way out, I guess. <laughs> Everybody, right? Yeah. They've all they've all had a, a piece of you. I do think. Yeah, I mean, I think you can pull and you can cherry pick things from all different people that, that are inspiring or that you think about all the time. Um, you know, I think I, you know, I worked for Des Mackinoff and I really learned how to transition a show from him. And I learned how to think about transitions as being really important parts of storytelling. And Walter Bobby is a really great collaborator and also like an amazing mentor. Um, and so, like, I think about him all the time when I'm I, when I'm deal, working with designers and just saying, like, shut up. You don't need to have all the answers. Let them talk. Let them, you know, listen, listen, listen. Um, you know, uh, Phil McKinley, had, you know, was somebody that I worked with that has such a great grand sense of scale um, to his work that that I think about a lot. And Doug Hughes, who, you know, as, as far as like an act, you know, in terms of like the way I work with actors, like Doug was somebody that really helped me figure out that communication. And, and same thing with Tommy Kale. Tommy Kale is a wonderful um, actor's director um, and he knows how to have those conversations. Um, so like, it's really hard to, there's not one person that I worked with that I was like, this is it, this is everything. Because they're, they're also like, put that list down on a piece of paper. I mean, Phil McKinley is a circus director and, you know, like, and, and directed Spider-Man and like Ben Hur Live and then Doug Hughes directed Doubt on Broadway and Tommy Kale, you know, like they, they couldn't be more divergent in terms of like the work that they produce you know, and, and I, I will say also like my high school drama teacher still inspires me and I think about him often. 
Uh, on to number four. What is a a lesson or a trait that took you a while to learn, or one that you're still working on today? There are so many. I mean, I think it took me a while to not feel like an imposter. I think that's a really common thing for directors that like you walk into a room and you're like, I'm an imposter. Like this isn't. Um, and I think that that still haunts me today. And I think that that will continue to haunt me. And I think it should, because I think it keeps you on your toes. Like if you feel like an imposter, then you'll never stop trying to make it better. Um, you know, when ideas don't work that you thought worked on paper, like, you know, like we spend a lot of time, you know, like you spend a lot of time dreaming about this stuff. And when you get into what, you know, especially when you get into like a rehearsal studio and like something that you thought was so cool, or like you really figured out that moment. And then you start talking about it to, to the cast and everyone's like, what? Or they jump, or that's also really hard to get over too. And gives you severe imposter syndrome is when, you 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 convinced a cast that whatever you were talking about was the right way to go and then you do it and it's horrible and then you have to like figure out okay well now i have to get them back on my side and i have to figure out a new idea and that's when you're like i'm an imposter like i should just go home <laughs> yeah, yeah is it, so was there i mean speaking of of feeling like an imposter but then obviously rising mm -hmm. above that was there a show where you really were just out of your depth and I mean, it just was like, okay, I got That's a trick question because if I say no, then I seem really arrogant. <laughs> if I say yes and can't come up with an example, I mean, the answer, the, the short, the short answer is no. Like I don't, I mean, there have been shows that like I've been in the middle of and been like, I'm way out of my depth here. But like the, at the, again, like one of the things that I think is a good thing about our business is like, you have to do something on opening night. Like you can't give up. So like, there's no opportunity for you to say like, well, I'm sorry. Um, you know, there have been things that I was like, well, I wish I did that differently or like, God, that really, you know, those moments. But like, overall, I think even if you're, even if you've completely deluded yourself by the end of a, by an opening night, you feel some sense of accomplishment. Like, well, I really tackled that mountain. Um, and also you referenced earlier that you're, you're not alone, that right. yes, you yeah. may be the director, you've got other voices. Yeah, totally. And that's the thing too, is like when you're really feeling like, you know, like I often turn to, especially like choreographers or writers and just like, do you have an idea? Like, cause I'm fresh out or an actor, you know, like I, so many ideas I've stolen from actors, <laughs> you know? And like, um, I mean, you know, and it's, yeah, it, it is. I mean, if you, I, th I think, I think you actually nailed it on the head. Like if you, if you really, if you are allowing yourself to think that you're the only one that matters, then you get to feel like, wow, I was in over my head. But if you're, if you're, if you, if you are smart enough to say what you just said, like, actually, well, I'm in over my head in this moment, but maybe somebody else has an idea. Right. Um, and then, and then have that, then that conversation will happen. And then, you know, it'll evolve as the process goes. All right. So last question, what's the, the best advice that you have received? It actually ties into what we just talked about because the best advice I ever received was from Walter Bobby. And he said, I don't care. It was, it was, it, I don't remember exactly the moment, but it was, it was something I had, I had an idea for something and I gave it to him. And it was one of the first times that I had done that with him and he took it and he ran with it and like it ended up in the show and, and I said to him, like, why'd you take my idea? And he turned to me and he said, I don't care whose idea it is as long as I get the credit. 
And it's a very Walter Bobby thing to say. And it's like the best because it's both funny and so real. And like, and, 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 you know, the credit thing is Walter's being, is Walter being funny, but, but it, it's, it's the spirit of collaboration that he was talking about. And he's like, it doesn't matter. A good idea is a good idea, whether it's, you know, the, the Pulitzer Prize winner over there, the, the Tony Award winner over there, or the PA who's actually the most, who's actually watching it the most carefully because he's got nothing else to do in that moment. Um, there's a great story on Spider-Man. Um, somewhere before Julie Taymor got fired, there's apparently a, um, a crew guy who I never met, and I don't know whether he worked on Spider-Man or not, but his name, his name is Jack. Um, but at, at a certain point, the producer of Spider-Man was Jerry, one of the producers was Jerry Harris, and he owns PRG, which is a huge um, shop and lighting rental company. And um, But so he knows all the crew guys. And actually, his brother is the house carpenter and ha- at the at the, um, the Lyric. But like the Harris family is like a very well-connected Broadway IATSE family. Um, so he knows all the crew guys. And so apparently this guy, this one crew guy has made it a hobby when he's working on a show to rewrite the show and fix it. And so when Spider-Man, when Spider-Man was going off the rails and they were like, they didn't know what to do. Jerry asked Jack what he thought. And apparently the way that the story goes, Jack is the one that decided. So like the big, one of the big changes that they made when Phil came in was they moved the, the big spider green goblin battle, which was at the end of the first act to the end of the show. And apparently it was Jack's idea. And he's, he's, he's a crew guy, but it was a great idea. And they took it and they ran with it. And it, it, it really did help the show. Um, and, uh, but that, but that also just to illustrate that, like, you never know where a good idea is going to come and you're foolish if you're not listening, or if you think you're so wonderful that, you know, you don't have to take every idea, but that takes a lot of confidence too, is to just sort of like hear all these opposing ideas and then say, well, to either say, well, actually mine was the best idea or to say, or also to say like, mine wasn't, so I'm going to take that one. And then we're going to run with that. And, and you know, there's no idea that you start with is what you end up with anyway. Like it all just turns into a mush of things anyway. All right, David. This was this was great. This was cool. Great. Good. Thank you. So I had so much. much fun. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the Rise Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. Rise is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.